everybody. Welcome. This is our April Fireside Chat. This is on why legal should lead on sustainability. So we have an amazing turnout. I appreciate everyone coming out here. Now, this is going to be interactive. So if you have any questions at all, please put it in the Q&A. We're going to get to it towards the end of the hour. If you don't know me, I'm Matt Margolis. I lead community here at Law Trades. Now, if you don't know Law Trades, we're a legal tech startup that assists GCs and legal departments and law firms build up their legal infrastructure. We provide them with flexible legal talent, and we make sure that they're moving the best they can, working the best they can, utilizing remote talent. Now, today I'm joined by Kristen Geary, which if you don't know her on LinkedIn, you are, you are missing out completely. I would look up hashtag sustainable counsel. That's how I found Christine. So Christine is the chief legal and sustainability officer at Engine Impact, a company committed to sustainable transformation. And I honestly, Christine, I'll leave it to you. I'd love to hear some of your background to start. All right. Excellent. Thanks for having me here today, Matt. I'm really excited to be a part of Law Trades series and to talk to you in particular, because you also have a very interesting LinkedIn presence on that for, for a while now. So yeah, just my background is pretty typical for a, a general counsel. I started in a law firm, in a, in a business law firm. I did a lot of different things, actually a bit ironically, given my current business, my, my first case was on Enron defense. So uh, wow. me and about 10,000 associates of my generation spent a, a ton of time on that case. Then I went into the transactional side, did some M&A contracts, all of those things. And about eight years in, decided that I, I wanted to leave the law firm, went on a little self journey to decide what I wanted to be when I grew up and, and really landed on wanting to be at a, a very purpose-driven company. So I started at a company, it was then called Ecova. And we did sustainability work. I started just as individual contributor, corporate counsel. Ecova was bought by Engie, which is a large multinational headquartered out of France. And you know, since then, my, my role just expanded. I'm some in-house counsel that's added other things to my portfolio. And right now, one of the things that I do, in addition to leading our, our global legal team, is lead our corporate sustainability program. So I have kind of a foot in both worlds. That's awesome. I guess, do you mind explaining sustainability? Because for me, before having conversations yeah, yeah. and honestly reading your LinkedIn posts, I just didn't know. Absolutely. Uh, so the word sustainability gets used a lot. It is a broad concept. So if you if you look it up in the dictionary, it sustainability is about having a process that can repeat over time without killing it itself, basically. So that that is sustainable over a long period. And so when you look into a corporate framework, it's been broken down into different areas. So there's environmental sustainability. There's a, a social component to sustainability where you see in fair labor rights and human rights and diversity, equity, and inclusion comes in on, on the social side. And then more of a governance, which is where uh, lawyers typically have a more comfort zone. You're talking about your ethical business practices and so forth when you're, you're talking about governance. Now, those are the, the key buckets that you look for in an ESG and an investor portfolio, but they're also critical buckets if you look at a broad variety of sustainability measures. It's interesting. So I guess what led you to sustainability? You said you were kind of finding the next career path. So how did you, how'd you get there? Yeah. So I really wanted something that I I've had meaning to me that kind of was quite purpose-driven. I didn't start out looking specifically for environmental sustainability. And that that's really the aspect of sustainability that my company focuses on is that 
that environmental piece, but I wanted to be at a company that was really just committed to making making a difference in the world. I looked at you know different sectors, education and government and so forth, and and just really thought in the U.S. business is what drives change, and, and business is the the biggest kind of the eight hundred pound gorilla at the table. So if you can harness that for good, you have something very very powerful, and then just opportunistically, really just a sustainability, environmental sustainability company, corporate counsel came across my Indeed and I threw an application in and I got it. And that that was in 2013. So since then, I've just been building my my knowledge and, and expertise in that area. That's awesome. That is so cool. Because we, right, we go to law school and now that's the thought too, is we want to change the world. And yeah. And, you know, one way or another, we end up in careers maybe that don't do that. And it's, I think that's the coolest thing ever that you actually did get into a career where you are leading change, you are leading positive environmental change. So I, I love it. So, well, I guess that leads me to another question. Day to day, what does the day to day look like for someone who's leading sustainability and leading a legal department? Yeah. So my day to day is probably like a lot of general counsels. It's pretty crazy. It's a a ton of time on the phone. I have my my email and all that kind of transactional stuff. And I, you know, I have other things that I that I run as well. So I'm responsible for our health and safety and our real estate. Mm-hmm. Both of those have been a big piece of focus for the last couple of years, although they're they're calming down a little bit. And for me, it all just it all just blends together. It's not like I'm gonna spend four hours working on legal and then two hours on sustainability. At different times, you know, some area or another might need more of my attention, and I just hope that they don't all need a lot of my attention at once. But I do have excellent directors that report to me across all of the areas that I rely on to do the day to day, and I really just work with them to set the priorities and to move the business objectives forward. That's awesome. Well, I'm a former head of legal at a company, and I tell you, I didn't really know much about sustainability again until I read your post and we talked. I guess there's probably many people listening in who want to lead sustainability or want to start sustainability initiatives in their legal department. What's the first step? Yeah, absolutely. It really, there is a big difference if you're in a if a smaller legal department or a smaller company versus if you're in the Fortune 100 companies, you probably have a very active program already. But I would say start by learning what exists, if anything. So go out there and sometimes you just read the website and see, oh, hey, do we have a page and figure out, do you have, you might have dedicated staff, you might have a volunteer program that that is more corporate social responsibility oriented, but just start by learning what's there is step number one. And then, you know, step number two, you know, figure out who is interested. Leading out of legal counsel's office is always about relationships. So figure out who your allies are across the business in this area. So you might have corporate sustainability, maybe not. You probably have somebody who cares about it in HR and finance, you know, your key business operations folks, start talking to them and bringing them together to see what areas that the company really wants to engage in. But getting that core group together is the first step. That's interesting. I think, and that, listen, I think that rings true for not even just leading sustainability, but being a really good GC. What you're alluding to is creating these relationships with your business folks. Is that fair to say? Yes, absolutely. That's how everything gets done. So when I have a new uh, team member start, no matter what area, I start with a 90-day plan and half of it is a list of probably 40, 45 names of people go out 90 days, build these relationships. 
Oh, that's interesting. So you send out like uh, an assistant general counsel and you said, hey, go to this part of the business, understand this business and meet these people. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Know who these people are, have them know who you are, set up time. That's interesting. So that would, okay. So that not, and again, not to shift gears away from sustainability, but I'm just curious as, again, as a former solo GC, that was always a concern I had was, is having people in the business departments speak to legal and make sure legal is aware of things going on. And I imagine for sustainability, that's equally as important. Yes. So sustainability and it does not happen in isolation. And I see a question up here about is the CSR program enough? So this is kind of related. Absolutely not. So a CSR program, it comes out of, it used to be people that you'd have maybe a CSR expert, maybe you do some charitable donations, it'd be kind of a siloed activity. But to make a difference on some of the key sustainability issues today, you have to have the whole organization. So a lot of times, you know, in sustainability today, what you're talking about is climate change and and carbon impact. And it is my favorite topic in this area. So I'm I'm definitely biased. But I, I think in terms of sustainability, that is you know, the biggest threat to a, a process that's going to to kill itself. So we that that is you know to me that's why I'm really passionate about it. But if you want to cut down on your carbon footprint, you have to have partnership in from operations, HR, finance is critical, and it really has to be built in as a strategic measure across your whole business. So it can't be a CSR program in in isolation. And the same, you know, if you have a diversity, equity, and inclusion program. So if you're acting more on the social side, you know, that's a whole business engagement and a whole cultural approach that you have to have everybody engaged in. It's fascinating. Well, I guess on that note, we also have to get the buy-in from the C-suite, right? We have to make sure, right? Our CFO, our CEO, our COO, everybody is is on board. I guess, how do you get in that? How do you get that buy-in? Yeah. So you really have to figure out what the value proposition is for the business and for each role in the business. And and it will be different for depending on what your what your business is, depending on what the role is. But you know, if you want to to go talk to your CFO, you know, talk to them about cost savings from the program. So you you can have that in a number of ways. Uh, for example, we just uh, rolled out some new business travel guidelines, and the goal of them is to make sure that we continue to have lower levels of travel even after the pandemic, and that that generates direct cost savings in addition to carbon savings, in addition to creating a healthier lifestyle for our employees. Other areas of the company will may care a lot about attracting and retaining talent, and if you go out and look at any kind of stats, you know, particularly your your younger generations are expecting their employers to be active in this area. And if they have active programs, they're more likely to stay. So there's there's a talent angle from that perspective. Go talk to marketing. Well, how does marketing want to be able to portray your company in the, in the media, on the website? Is it important from a brand perspective? So then if it's important from a brand perspective, that that's a different angle. And then you know, from an operations side, you can find uh, operational efficiencies, uh, particularly you know, if you're using better labor practices, you're probably going to have you know, a, a more engaged workforce that will produce more for you and create you know, less supply chain issues. So you have to understand the value proposition for each part of the business and be able to speak the language of your different colleagues. 
It's fascinating. All right. So like, guys, if we engage in this initiative, uh, just for example, it'll save X amount of dollars. It'll portray the company in this light. And overall, we'll see an increase in talent, which in this market is very hard to hold on to. So yeah, you present yeah. that to your CEO and your CEO says, I understand. I, yeah. I, that, this is a language I can understand and I can appreciate. So, okay. Yeah. And on our NG Impact webpage, we actually have an example of a, of a very high level slide, but with a, some of the business points that when we were setting up our program, we brought to the business and say, hey, this is the value. This is why we need to move forward with these investments. And the exact reasons will change depending on what your company does and what market they're in. What I don't like, and I'll go a little further. So there are more and more legal requirements. And for example, we just saw the SEC come out with carbon disclosure requirements mm -hmm. from for for larger companies. And it's fantastic that the SEC is taking action. And we absolutely need more carbon and climate disclosure. And that, that needs to be more understandable to investors as well as consumers. So that that part, I completely agree with. And companies have to comply with that kind of thing from a regulatory basis. You also have the needing to be as you, whatever you portray to the market has to be accurate uh, or else you have misrepresentation issues. But that all has to happen. But I, I don't feel like compliance is really the best way to motivate. So I, I know that a lot of times there's a, a question in about does legal need to lead or is it something that that can be done jointly? So I think that it can absolutely be done jointly. It has to be done jointly. And I do believe that legal is in a strong position to lead on it. But if somebody else is leading, legal can add a lot of value anyway. But I don't take the approach of, hey, we have to do this because it's regulatorily required. We, sure. we need to comply with the regulations and we will, but that's not necessarily the why or the most convincing why. I appreciate that because no one wants to be told now. I mean, that's yeah, that's yeah. the reality of it. Where it's we can't do it because the law says so. I understand it completely. Everyone understands that by providing real, tangible understanding, like real. Hey, again, we're I love the rule retain talent. People yeah. want to see change. People, especially in my generation, younger, want to see real change and real initiatives by their companies. So I think you're right, presenting that, especially or having a partner, having HR present that. Yeah, and I'll tell you in my in my shoe when I needed change presented, I would. Not use, but I definitely would push certain departments where that would benefit, yeah. right? I think you would say the same thing. Yeah, 100%. So if you can get somebody else to present what you want done, that is a huge win, not just in sustainability, sure. but in, in any area. So then, yeah, before, and this is true for sustainability or any area that, that I have an initiative on, like I will I'll always, if I'm going to walk into the executive room, I will have talked to people. Well, not every time I walk in, but if I'm asking for something, I will have right. talked to people, you know, in advance and, and figure it out and try to make sure that we have alignment in advance so that we have supporters or, you know, sometimes somebody else leads on it and I can be the supporter and either can be a win-win. Well, to your point, you can't do these things as a silo. It's a team sport. It's the best way to put it, right? It's it's a team effort. And I think the, the legal is known or seen as the department of no. I think I've said that a hundred times already. Yeah. And, and you're right. Presenting someone else, presenting your side of the story with their own twist could definitely lead to great results, especially for sustainability. Yeah. So I would say there are a couple of reasons that I, I do think people mean, it, it may not be obvious, reasons why legal could be good in leading in this area. And what I found first, the legal department touches 
so much of the business and has mm-hmm. visibility into so much of the business that you really, because you have to involve everybody, you already have the, in legal, you already have the relationships, you already see the client deals coming in, you interact with every team in the company. So because you already have that infrastructure in place, it can really make sense to, to go out and make sustainability uh, part of that infrastructure. And a lot of times also legal has responsibility for an ethics type program. Sure. And I like, I, I'm responsible for our ethics program. And you know, I one of the things I like to talk about is all of those compliance pieces that, that we have of our ethics programs, they all came out of the federal sentencing guidelines in response to Enron. And they're, they're right. literally designed to keep your executives out of jail, sure. which is very important. Like, Absolutely. Your executives out of jail, but we should also aspire to something higher. And so I think if you you can kind of wrap together a culture where you're, of course, doing your ethical duty, but also following good sustainability practices across the environmental and and social spectrum, you you, you start to create a company culture that stops and asks itself, you know, what's the right thing to do here? And that is so much more inspiring than like on page 18 of the ethics guidebook, it says to kind of being able to create that culture, wrap it in with ethics and create that baseline of moral compass of what's the right thing to do. That's awesome. It's true. Mm-hmm. I, I actually, I wanted to jump to a question I just saw and I thought it, it ties nicely to this discussion. So Again, me as a, as a soul, I kind of reminds me of the same thing. Me as a soul, I didn't have a lot of time to do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. A lot of tight deadlines. And someone had asked, well, they'd love to do this. They'd love to engage. It seems to be in the sustainability program. But another project comes up with a tight deadline. So what would yeah. be tough for somebody to, I guess, it seems to manage their time and, and still implement a great sustainability program? Yeah, it's a really important question because every legal department, you know, nobody likes adding extra legal headcount, right? Mm-hmm. And and you're never going to have an endless budget. You have to you have to leverage your time appropriately. What I always suggest is that people just start where they're at. I think you know if you go if you're at a small company, you have a small team, or you're solo, and you go and you look at Microsoft's webpage of all the things that they're doing in corporate sustainability, it's going to feel really overwhelming and. Mm-hmm you're never going to be able to do all of that. But if you start by just gathering up that team of people and say, hey, what can we do this year? And go through, do one cycle where you just do whatever it is you can. And then it builds over time. It's not something where you can necessarily make it everything perfect overnight. But I do think the really important thing is to start somewhere and make progress because this isn't, none of these issues are going away. So the climate change, you know, and the pressure on carbon is not, it's, it's not going anywhere. The need to have great human relations, it's, these things are, aren't going anywhere. The war for talent, not stopping. So if you start building it, you know, just piece by piece where you have time, it's kind of like, uh, I've read, I read before, I think this is really true. If you just give, you know, 10 minutes a day to something, you will be shocked what you can get done by the end of the year versus feeling like, oh, I need to do this for a full month. So that's, listen, that's a great, honestly, that's probably the best tip too, because I used to deal with that as well, where I'm like, I can't get this done. You're right. 10 minutes is the best thing little bit at a time, also passing it off, maybe to some, not passing off completely, but wrangling in some help, right? I would yeah. say that's, that's a good point because a lot of employees will be really passionate on this subject. So my company's program started with, uh, we had, we had one person 
this is back in probably 2010, who was really passionate about all employees should have a volunteer day where they can go out and that's cool. Volunteer for a nonprofit. And she just started working on that. And then they we had the volunteer day. And pretty soon, uh, she had also had a team of volunteers who just wanted to make the company's practices better. And so em- employees, they're... A lot of folks will be so passionate about this that they'll give a little bit extra. You just have to organize them. That's awesome. That's really cool. I wish I had a volunteer day. That sounds like... Honestly, that's great. Like uh, yeah. hours to go, I mean, just to do something for your community, which again, is legal. You don't get that very often. So it makes you feel good to actually give back. Now, I, I saw this question and I wanted to ask myself, so I guess we'll ask it now. What are the accomplishments that you are the most proud of? Hmm. Gosh, if for for our particular sustainability area, I am really proud of the goals we set. We came out in uh, 2019, which was kind of ahead of the pack, and we set uh, three big targets: to be carbon negative. Uh, and that's before you know net zero was was a thing. So uh, ahead of a lot of the big announcements, to be zero waste, which is has been an interesting uh, journey. It is a bit of a, a a technical term in terms of how much you recycle and how much you divert. But really working on that waste area, I feel like it's a little bit underplayed and, and it's important and to be water balanced. So finding ways to put as much water in as we're taking out. So those were all you know kind of ahead of the market goals. And we're now coming three years around the bend and we're, we're on track to hit those. So that that is fantastic. And then just proud to be a part of a, a larger company. So I, I am part of a, a multinational and I see a question on multinationals yeah. and, and carbon footprint. I'm, I'm part of a multinational uh, energy company, which is the hardest industry to decarbonize, <laughs> as I'm you sure. can imagine, that's, that has made a, a net zero commitment. And so being generally part of an enterprise that is that dedicated in, in an industry that is very, very hard to decarbonize is, is inspiring. That is so cool. Per, again, personally for me, like I really enjoy this because again, I go to law school thinking I can change the world and <laughs> you are actually doing it, which is so hats off. That's amazing. I wanted to shift gears just a little bit. I wanted to get your thoughts. And this is me being selfish because I've had these questions. What about your outside counsel? Do you ever have any initiatives or you ask your outside counsels to engage in similar initiatives? Yeah. So it's, it's something where, well, first, I don't use a ton of outside counsel. I, I like to staff things internally. I'm definitely biased in that favor. So all of our all of our day-to-day legal work is handled uh, internally. And we, we will go outside for M&A, litigation. The employment uh, tends to need to go outside. So some key areas where I, I think outside counsel is is very helpful. And then what, what I do, uh, particularly for, for large projects in the RFP process, I'll ask law firms to submit their sustainability reports, their diversity information, and use that as one of the criteria in selecting firms. It's, it's obviously not the only one, but I think that's a good way to kind of make the point with law firms that it matters. And then from a, a diversity perspective, I look to engage attorneys who are a diverse background. And, and Matt, I know you will love this one. I'm very specific often about who gets billing credit on the projects. So and I know like I've worked with um, counsel who are, who's the lead. And I will literally say, what do I have to say to make sure you get billing credit? And I will write an email saying that. And it it makes a huge difference. 
you want me to cry during this? I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. That is aw- That is so awesome. And that's sustainable. That's, that's how you keep, honestly, that's how you keep talent as well. So that's awesome to hear. I have another question here I wanted to ask, which is a really good question. Are you the first chief sustainability officer? And also, are you seeing more like outside of your company and in the industry? So for our company, yes, I'm the first executive to have that title. So my particular company, NG Impact, which is a subdivision of the larger NG group, came together in 2019. And it's a convoluted history. But at that at that time, we really wanted to have sustainability at an executive title level because we work with our clients so closely on this topic. And, and we found it really important to to walk the talk. There are a lot of people with that title. You know, a list just came out on top women in sustainability. And, and there are a lot of CSOs who are super amazing people on the list. And I haven't seen somebody else with the title chief sustainability and legal officer, but I have, I think those two roles are getting combined in different ways with different titles. But what, what I've seen is more and more counsel who are taking responsibility. There was a, like a Financial Times article about how general counsels are, are finding ESG considerations more on their book. It might just be you know, an environmental officer title or different ways from a titling perspective it comes in. But I, I think there's two kind of trends happening with general counsel roles where you're seeing more and more expansion outside of just the, the legal area and taking you know, responsibility for other areas in the business. I, I feel like general counsel are being more recognized as general problem solvers. And so when there's an area that, that might need to have some different leadership, I think more and more general counsels are being asked to step outside that legal role. And then this is just one area in particular that is coming more and more into the mix. Interesting. Interesting. It's cool to see. And I I agree, you're going to see more, well, I hope you see more chief legal and sustainability officers in the future. I I imagine you're you're honestly, you're pioneering and you're you're paving the way for it. So I I think you are. I do, honestly. Mm -hmm. We have another question here. What ESG framework do you use to benchmark at uh, NG? Yeah. So at, at NG Impact, we do report under the UN Global Compact Standards, which is a really broad set of standards that go across you know, multiple different subject areas. So that would be kind of the big frame that I report against. And then our French parent company also does reporting under... European regulatory standards, which are more uh, detailed than in in the U.S. So I did have done a couple of posts, particularly because I, I think when people get into this area, you get really caught up fast in what frameworks should you use and what rating standards should you use. And you can kind of get in this alphabet soup pretty fast. So I did two posts, one one on each subject with just a simple chart that shows, okay, you know, look at your stakeholders and what they care about. And depending on those two things, you're in this quadrant, you're in that one, you're down here, you're over here. And so, and it's not, it's based on a Harvard review article that I linked to. So it's actually based on some external resource, not just, you know, my collective wisdom, but check it out if you're trying to figure out what framework or what rating to to use. Well, I, I guess you raise an interesting question. I and again, I'm I'm on LinkedIn probably way too much, but I, I tend to ask like, 
Do you think as a GC, it's good to be uh, maybe on social media to present a message or to yeah. present some sort of external messaging? Yeah, a hundred percent. So I, I started getting active on LinkedIn January, 2021. And at the time, I just had this sense that I wanted to kind of give back and we were all in lockdown. I wanted some a new way to engage and I, I wasn't really sure where it would go. And I've, I've just been super you know, surprised and amazed at how much value it's brought in a lot of different areas. So I post on, on different subjects. Some of my posts are, you know, of course, sustainability oriented. Some of them are very general counsel oriented. Some of them are, you know, here's a cute video of my dog because we all deserve a dog video every once in a while. Yeah. Uh, and I've, I found it really helpful in a number of areas. So I have been able to get back and I feel good about that. That's, that's fantastic. It's also allowed me to build an external network in a way that I just never could. So when I was before I started getting active in LinkedIn, my network was really, really just internal. I had been traveling a lot. I could not go to events. My schedule just didn't allow me to really interact in another way. And doing this now, I have a whole you know, really global network that if I'm having an issue or a question, I can go out and say, get other general counsel's perspective uh, or other experts' perspectives because I built this network. And then the, the most surprising things that I, I think this isn't just for general counsel, this is for leaders in general, is the ability to use outside social media sources to influence internally. So if you think about this, you know, a lot of your connections are probably people within your company and uh, you, you can make your social media posts more personal and engaging sometimes and you can make an email and people just like the fact that you're willing to go out and say something or share something publicly uh, makes it more meaningful in a way. And so I often post things that you know, they are perfectly consumable, perfectly appropriate for a public audience. But my goal is really to have a message for our, our internal audience in there. And, and I'm, I've been just really surprised how effective that's been. That's cool. That's, that's an interesting way to use it, too. That is for me, generally speaking, I, and I, same way I had, I, I had all of my employees for the most part were friends of mine on LinkedIn, but most of my messages were more external. I never thought about using it as an internal tool to present a message or an idea, or honestly, I would say even to humanize the legal department, because I think we, yeah. we everyone's get a bad rep as being robotic and human. Yeah. And so that's cool. I love that. Yeah. I use it a lot for that. Uh, you know, we have a global employee base and you know, we've, we haven't been able to travel. I can't really meet people in person. And even if I could travel and see them in person, then I wouldn't be seeing all of them. So if you can go on and share, it's a, it's a little scary for lawyers, but if you can share uh, some of some things about you personally, then you're going to be able to touch a lot more people. And when you show up and all of a sudden, you know, they... Folks don't always aren't always super happy when the general counsel emails them and asks asks for a chat. But you're a little bit less you're a little bit less scary if people have have seen you in that variety. It's also very helpful for for sensitive topics that a company might not be able to take a public position on or, or, or take one quickly. So you can go out and and share you know a non-controversial but empathetic message for whatever it may be uh, can be really helpful internally. That's fascinating. That's mm -hmm. you can you could really have a voice. I guess kind of like a hybrid almost inside and outside of the company and 
present that externally to everybody. I think that's fascinating the way you use it. Mm-hmm. Definitely different than the, the memes and funny posts that I do. Honestly, maybe a better use. <laughs> I actually, I will say, I think we all, we all know Alex Sue and it's, yeah. it's uh, been fun because I, I like, or I'll comment on his stuff. And kind of one of the nice things about that is it kicks it up into the streams of my colleagues and, you know, our sales team and stuff like that. So right. when Alex has a particularly, you know, good video on how you know legal and the different departments work together, I might throw a little comment in there because there'll, there'll be people that'll kick it in their stream and it, it provides uh, some food for thought. That's funny. Sales gives you a call. Hey, I saw that video. Wait a minute. Yeah. Do you really think that? (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I love that. So I want to be a little selfish because I just, because I get to moderate, so I get to be a little selfish. Why not? I love your best tips, generally speaking, as a general counsel. What are the ways that a general counsel can succeed? Hmm. Well, we are, we already touched on one of them. So it, it, it is all about relationships. You will always have, I have the smallest department of any executive, even though I have, you know, like four major responsibilities. And so you really have to have the strong relationships in place. I go through my calendar on a quarterly basis and I think about who am I talking with? Who am I touching base with? Do I have the right points? Do I need to set a regular cadence with this person just to check in? Do I need to have some other form of engagement or communication? What's what's the right level to both build and maintain those relationships? So that that's really critical understanding the business and how you make money, really important. I think any council knows that. I think when you first kind of go in-house, you see all the numbers, Excel, lawyers hate Excel. I think you just posted something on that. Uh, My advice on Excel is make friends with your finance department because they'll be Mm -hmm. able to kick it out in like 10 minutes. So another good reason to, to be friends with finance. You have to understand how all those pieces work and don't be afraid to step outside your box. So when when I'm in an executive team meeting, I've learned if something isn't making sense to me, or if I have a question, or if I have an idea, even if it's has nothing related to any of my areas, you know, really feeling comfortable and developing that voice to comment because you're you're there for a reason and you're there to be a company leader, not just a legal leader. And you're you have smart ideas. If you don't understand the financial statement, it probably doesn't make sense. Like even if you don't have an MBA. And so I think developing competence to really get outside your area and provide value across the company is critical. That's awesome. Those are great tips. I, I, those were for me, actually. That wasn't for anybody else. I, I just wanted to know for myself. <laughs> go back to law trades and ask for the financial statements and start picking on them with the CFO. I can, I can see it. That's exactly what the plan is. Don't yeah. tell Rod or Ashish. This is yeah. all... Well, I guess now we'll know because this is live. Yeah. <laughs> but I will say this. I, we're, I think we're reaching the end of the hour. I just want to thank you again so much for your time, so much for your insight, speaking about sustainability. If you click on the related content link on the left-hand side of your screen, everyone who's watching, you could see some of the takeaways that we've prepared before this. I just want to give a shout out for some of the other events we're doing in the future. We have Marking Your Legal Team as the team of Yes, which is really important. I think Christy can speak to that. I will speak to that, uh, which takes place on April 21st with speakers from Away Travel, Bowery Farming, Law But How, and Beanstalk. And the following week, we're going to be discussing first-time GC, which also is a topic I could probably speak about, and what they need to know about privacy. And the speakers are going to be from Shine and Lively. And last but not least, if I just want to, again, personally, myself, thank everyone for coming on here and enjoying the conversation. We appreciate you as a part of our community and a part of Christine's community. 
So thanks again, everybody. Thank you, Matt. Thank you.